The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. Amen. sits upon a throne high and lifted up. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today by your Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit on each of your children gathered here today. Lord, that we would praise you in a way that's pleasing to you, that you would receive all the honor and glory that you are due, and that this sacrifice of praise and worship to you would be a sweet-smelling savor. Lord, I do pray that you would be with us, that you would help us to feast on the gospel as you give it to us. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to us through your word, that we would be comforted and upheld. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our eyes on you. And we join our voices together now praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in your green hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian... What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. Amen. As we continue to worship, turn in your hymnal. We're going to sing together. Hymn number 448. We have heard the joyful sound. Children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon.
Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. We're um, going to be talking about the Apostles' Creed again this morning, and I want to ask you some questions. Does anybody remember, when I was a little boy, we learned um, a, a very cute little saying, and it had hand motions with it too. Um, it was about the church. This morning, we confessed just a few moments ago that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Does anybody remember what I'm doing? Does anybody know? Can it, is it, it's not a gun. Um, can, you, can you do it with me? So here's the... Here's the... And then open the doors and... There's what? People. But we, we confess this morning that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And you might be saying, well, wait a minute. We're Presbyterians after all. And in, in the, that creed, what we're confessing is not the Roman Catholic Church with a capital C, but the, the Holy Catholic Church. And Catholic in that sense means universal. That God's people from all around the world, in all ages, we believe that the Lord Jesus is the one that makes His church holy. But let me ask a question, though. And put your church back up for a minute, if you would. You remember what we said? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. And there's the people. But what does the Bible say is the church? The people, right? This isn't the church. This is a building. Lebanon. This beautiful place that the Lord allows us to worship and has established for these many years is a wonderful place. But this building is not the church. You're the church. You, God's people, God's covenant people, that He says, I will be your God and you will be mine. And I will forever hold you in my hands. Those people are the church. One another in this room, we are the church. The redeemed people of God who He has put His name on. So I want you to remember that this morning. That I'm part of the church. Church isn't where I go. It's who I am with God's people. The other thing that I want you to remember, we confess that we believe in the holy Catholic Church. So is it holy because we always do what God's Word says that we should? No. Unfortunately, we sin. But we confess that we believe in the holy Catholic Church because we believe that it is the Lord Jesus who makes it holy. It is set apart for Him. To be holy means not to be common, not for everyday use. And you have been set apart, your children. You are covenant children of the living God. You belong to Him. And you are holy because He has put His name on you. Not because you always do right things. So you can look to Him and say, Thank you, Heavenly Father, that I belong to you because of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these covenant children. I thank you for the faces and the eyes that I see on Sunday mornings in this time. And I thank you for the blessing that they are to our church and to our families. And Lord, I pray that you would raise them up to know that it is you, the living God, who makes us holy. We don't do it on our own. We can't try hard enough. We're not good enough. But I pray, Lord, that you would help them to remember, even in their wanderings, that you have put your name upon them, and may they forever walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would please turn in your green hymnal to page 818. We're going to be reading together Psalm 93.
Psalm 93 on page 818. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Your statutes stand firm. This time we're going to sing a hymn. There's an insert with your bulletin. If you didn't grab one, there are some in the in the foyer in the back. We're going to sing together. Living for Jesus.
just before our pastoral prayer time this morning, I wanted to share with you that one of the uh, churches in our presbytery, in the Palmetto Presbytery, for the first Sunday uh, since they have been gathering, uh, actually this is the first Sunday they are gathering, North Augusta Fellowship. Uh, they have been meeting in a, in a location where they could not meet on Sunday mornings. And uh, after a lot of hard work in the Lord's providence, they are meeting this morning uh, for the first time on Sunday uh, to worship the Lord. So I just I wanted to mention that to you as an encouragement that the Lord Jesus continues to build His church and that He is faithful uh, to Lebanon, but also to, uh, to this other body of believers in our presbytery. I also do want to pray uh, this morning, they've been on my heart, our college students, um, as they are away at college and studying and learning, uh, that the Lord would hold them close in His hand, that He would hold their minds, that they would remember and believe the things that they have been taught, that they learned in our families and in our church, that He would hold them and keep them in the truth. Let's pray together now. Father, I thank You for being able to pray to You as a Father. Your Word says that You know our frame. You know that we are but dust. You know our coming and our going, our in and out. You know our weaknesses and our frailty. Lord, You know our sinfulness, even the things that we would in in sin try to cover up from You and keep hidden. Things that we uh, may be able to hide from others, but we cannot from You. It is You, our Father, that we come to with our requests and petitions on our minds and in our hearts this morning. We thank You, Lord, that we may come to You and that You promise in Your Word that You do hear us. And Lord, we thank You and we praise You for the good report that Bobby shared this morning. That in a, in a small way and in a big way, You remain faithful to Lebanon, even in the, the changing of an insurance deductible number. Lord, thank You that um, you have been seeing this through and you knew it would happen even before it did. And we, we thank you for this reminder, even in our own church body here, to remember that it is you who provide for us and you who takes care of us. Lord, I do pray for North Augusta Fellowship this morning that you would bless their worship. Lord, thank you for uh, a Sunday to be together as a church family for them. And I pray, Lord, that this would be the first of many where the, the name of the Lord Jesus is lifted up there on a Sunday. Lord, I do also lift up and pray for our college students, that you would have your hand upon them, that they would be safe and healthy and protected on the campuses where they study, that they wouldn't have to worry about any harm coming to them. And Lord, I pray specifically for their minds and their hearts, the things that they learned and were taught in their families and here at Lebanon, that you would hold them close to you, that as they are challenged in intellectually and in the classroom, to maybe not take the truths of the Bible as seriously as they were taught. Lord, I pray that you would help them to stand fast, that they would also hold true to the the doctrine that they were taught, that it would be evident in their lives, not just in what they believe, but also in how they live. And may they be a witness for you. Lord, I pray that you would minister to them in homesickness or in difficulty as they uh, think about exams that will be coming up soon. Lord, I pray that you would have your hand upon them that they would remember that you walk with them in everything that they go through. And Lord, I pray that for us here too, that as we think about the things that are in front of us this week, and it would be easy even in this hour to be distracted with details and chores and other things that have to be done, deadlines that are upon us in the days ahead. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our weakness to depend on you now, Holy Spirit, to hold our minds, to keep our attention 
that we would give to the Lord Jesus all the worship and glory and honor that is due. Father, I pray that you would do this for the sake of your glory in our lives. Help us in the midst of our troubles. Comfort us where we need it. Hold us in our griefs. And Lord, I pray that you would help us even as we wait upon you for answer to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
I want to invite you to open your Bible to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 26. We're going to be reading uh, this morning verses 12 to 23. Acts chapter 26. The sermon is entitled, Love Your Neighbor with the Gospel. Acts chapter 26. This is the word of the Lord. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we conclude our brief series on missions emphasis entitled The Gospel and Your Neighbor, focusing on gospel-centered living and evangelism as a lifestyle more than an activity that you do. I want to begin this morning with a question. What is the evidence of sincere love for others? Is it telling people what they want to hear or telling them the truth even if it stings? Jesus clarified what true love is when He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. To do this means to forsake yourself, to obey the Lord, and to trust God even in the middle of it. To love your neighbor as Jesus' command means that you use all of your energy, all of your creativity, and your perseverance, the same energies that you use on a daily basis to pursue your own pursuits, you're to use those in pursuit of your neighbor, that they would see and behold the Lord Jesus Christ in His beauty and glory, that your neighbor would be enthralled with Jesus as Lord Himself, to be excited and to be satisfied in this, the reward that Jesus promised to His people. He didn't say that if you come and follow Me, that I will give you great things. He said, if you come and follow me and have faith in God, the reward that you get is God himself. 
that He is the most beautiful person in the world and that being reconciled to Him is the most significant thing that can happen in your life. The gospel mission that Jesus gave to His disciples is the gospel mission we read about this morning in the book of Acts. When the Apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa and he gives a powerful testimony of his own conversion on the road to Damascus and the gospel mission that Jesus sent him on as he confronted him on that road. It's the mission that Jesus gave the disciples. He told them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And he told Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And this same mission, the gospel mission, has been given to us, the church. And it is the honor of every Christian to bear the good news of the gospel and to share it with others. People that you live beside, people that you live with, family that you see a few times a year or every week. To share the gospel with how you live with them and how you interact with them. Who is it that's in your everyday path that you may be able to share the light of the gospel with them? Who would you say that is? Who is it that needs to see the beauty of the gospel adorned in how you live and how you speak, how you relate to others, how you respond to difficulty, how you receive joy and good things? You preach the gospel in how you live, and certainly you do by your words. This morning as we look at this passage, I want to do so under three headings. Number one, a servant witness. Number two, the gospel message. And lastly, the protection of God. Number one, a servant witness. Not being puffed up or putting on airs or feigning humility when actually prideful. We see a change happen in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was previously called Saul in this book of Acts. It says that he was in the line of... Paul is here having to make a statement to King Agrippa. He's making an argument. He's standing before a king. So he has his thoughts together and he's wanting to make an argument to be sure that both he and the others who are in his hearing understand why he's preaching the gospel. What's the reason? He's wanting them to connect the dots, to put the pieces together, to see that I was commissioned, Paul is saying. I was commissioned to share this gospel with others, just like the prophets of old who spoke in the Old Testament. Notice some of the things that he says. When he told the story, he tells King Agrippa, that Jesus called out to me and said, Saul, Saul. Just as we, you might remember in 1 Samuel when the Lord called out to him. And he said, speak Lord, your servant listens. But do you remember the first couple of times he was called? He went somewhere next door and said, you called me. And Eli said to him, no, I didn't call you. And he sent him back to bed and called him again. And he went back a second time. You called me? No, I didn't call you. But he said, the next time you hear it, perhaps it's the Lord. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. And Paul is saying, the Lord spoke to me and he called me. Saul, Saul, I didn't call him. He called me. He spoke to me. And he said to Saul, I am Jesus. Rise and stand to your feet. They were trembling in their boots, laying on the ground. They knew someone was speaking and it wasn't one of them. In Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 1, the Lord said to the prophet, Stand to your feet for I'm sending you to these rebel nations to preach the message that I am to give you. These rebel nations happened to be the people of God because they weren't obeying Him. They weren't walking in His ways. They weren't walking in fellowship with one another the way that they should have. And here Jesus says 
as we're thinking about Paul being in the line of these Old Testament prophets, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness. That's what a Christian is. You are a servant and a witness to the things that God has shown to us in His Word and what He has done in your life. You're to be a servant. Someone who serves others. Someone who serves them with the Gospel. He says, Paul says, I have true authority, not my own. But the true authority here is Jesus, this One who came from God. He says in verse 12, speaking about authority, I think Saul that day learned a lesson on the road to Damascus about what true authority is because he told King Agrippa in verse 12 that I had the authority and commission of the chief priests. I could go and do whatever I needed to do. They had given me papers. I had authority. My name and my reputation preceded me. And he was likely feared and people knew that he meant business when he spoke. He had been authorized to lock up or to discipline. He had been participating in the vote to kill Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Whether he was at home or in foreign cities, he had been given the authority to do what needed to be done. He was hurtful to the church. In his zeal, he was hurtful. It's possible to do that. But see in verses 15 and 16 in Acts 26, when Jesus spoke, he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He says, I have appeared just as God appeared to the prophets of old. And I have done this to make you a witness. Things are totally different now in my life, King Agrippa. You would have to know me to know, but it is totally different. My testimony now is not about the authority that I have, but the authority that comes from God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's the one that spoke to me. He stopped me in the way. Nobody else was going to. I could do what I needed to. And he's saying to King Agrippa, don't look at me, look to him. He's the one that I have to answer to. I don't answer to myself alone. I'm not an island. I answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this vision that Paul had, that Saul had, was confirmed by somebody else. God was working in the midst of this situation, not just for Saul on the road to Damascus. If you still have your Bible, look in Acts chapter 9 to confirm that this was God working in his life and not something that he drummed up on his own. In Acts chapter 9, there's a conversation. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And I can imagine a little bit like Gomer in Andy Earth's show as he's hearing this one speak to him telling him he should go because there's this one named Ananias who's going to this one named Saul. And I can hear Ananias saying, well, Shazam, my name's Ananias. This is an interesting story. And he goes on to say, Yes, Ananias, and I'm sending you. You're that one. Look in verse 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to me, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine 
So God was working even in the midst of this story for Saul on the road to Damascus. He was working in Ananias' life, confirming in the church what God was doing. Another man saw this vision. In the Old Testament, people, God called people. And now Paul is saying, Jesus has called me to be a servant witness. I didn't choose this myself. It wasn't a mantle I took up. But clearly, what you should see in this is that just as the Old Testament prophets and priests were called by God's will, I was called by Him. Jesus is God. If anybody hasn't told you, He wasn't just a man or a good teacher or a nice person. He was the living God in flesh and He called me to do it and I've got to preach the Gospel. And I'm telling you here today, King Agrippa, the truth. This is what happened in my life. So that's number one, a servant witness. Number two, the Gospel message. Here, Paul is telling his story. He is testifying before King Agrippa. But he's not just telling his story. He is focusing on Jesus who broke into his life. He doesn't want to parade his sins, but he has to tell them because it's part of his story. But he's not glorifying them. He's telling him this is what happened. In verse 17, Jesus said, I am sending you to a people, to your own people, and to the Gentiles. Paul was a Jewish person. He was an Israelite. And what do we see in this as Jesus spoke to Paul and changed his life? It's that the gospel is for people, for human beings, people made in the image of God, people who need to hear the gospel, people we pass every day or by chance happen to see when our paths may not have otherwise crossed. They just happen to cross in the Lord's providence. In verse 22, he said, I am here testifying both to great and to small. Whoever is in front of me is who I'm going to share the gospel with. That's what Paul says. Wherever God sends me, that's where I'm to go with the gospel. In sending, Jesus also did something to Paul's heart. He gave him, he gave Paul his own heart of compassion for the lost and wayward people of God. Look in verse 29 to hear how his heart had changed. This was Saul who went after and persecuted the church. Look in Acts 26 verse 29. He says, this still speaking to Agrippa, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. I wish that everybody who would hear the gospel would be gripped in their heart and they would believe, even you, King Agrippa, that you would hear the truth and believe it. In Romans chapter 9, to hear Paul's heart and what had changed in his life how the gospel had changed and how Jesus had changed his heart for other people. In, Acts chapter, in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. His heart has been changed. His heart aches for people who He knows are His countrymen, who He knows have been part of the covenant. They've heard the stories their whole life. They've heard of God's faithfulness, but it hasn't gripped their hearts. He knows if they don't believe the truth, there is not another option. But what a transformation in His heart. And cause for humility. 
before the Lord. This was Paul who could say, Before as Saul, people feared me. I had position. I had authority. My name meant something. I used to run after people. And now I get to run to them with the Gospel. My heart is changed. I don't just see them as people to beat into line anymore. I see them as souls that God is calling out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to be made His children. Jesus said to Paul, I'm sending you. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 4, it says, I send you to them, and thus you shall say, Thus saith the Lord God. The gospel message is not your story. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus breaking into a sinner's heart and changing him and cleansing him and her and giving them new life. He says that he would open blind eyes in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7. That he would turn people from darkness to light. The Jews who refused him and the Gentiles who were ignorant of God to all people alike. He says the gospel must go forth because Jesus sent me to deliver them from the power of Satan to the power of God. This is salvation, dear people. It is deliverance. It is cleansing. It is transformation. And he says that I'm preaching the gospel, nothing but what the prophets and Moses said. In verse 20, he says, I went to tell them to repent and turn to God and do the deeds in keeping with repentance. Today, not tomorrow, to do it today. To turn to God. He says, I told them that the Christ must suffer. This is the doctrine of the atonement. That He would suffer on our behalf. That there would be an exchange. Not my good works for His salvation, but my sin and shambles and the wreckage of my heart. I give to Jesus and He gives me righteousness. Free and full and complete. He says that Christ rose from the dead. This is the doctrine of the resurrection. You don't get salvation without this. The one who suffered on our behalf, whose body was brutally beaten, he was put in a tomb and he was dead. And by God's power, he raised him up from the dead. And then he says, Christ proclaims light to all people. In the day that we live in, there is such a public outcry for justice. Make it clear, make it plain. No shifting sand, don't spin me. Give justice, give the truth. And I want to ask this morning, dear church, is our heart gripped with compassion for people who raise up their voices in our day to demand justice? And some of them who do not know God at all, are we moved to compassion? Is our heart gripped that there are some of these people who speak with such a strong and sure voice who will spend eternity in everlasting punishment in hell? That they don't know what they're asking for when they lift up their voices to cry for justice. In Psalm 98, it is a picture of a mighty crescendo as the voices of all the earth are raised to praise God for the salvation that Paul is talking about here. There's a progression that moves in this psalm. It goes from all the peoples of the earth to the seas and to the rivers and the hills. And then there is an abrupt praise. It says He is coming to judge all the earth. And you would think, why would the psalmist write this? He's talking about salvation and praise and goodness and wonder of God. And then as the swell builds and it seems like the roof is going to come off of the place, he says, and praise Him who is coming to judge the whole earth. And 
you would think the voices in that choir would just gasp and stop and turn in introspection. Is this good? He's coming to judge the earth? That He's going to judge me and my neighbors and my friends and my family? People who may not know God, is it good that He's coming to judge the earth? The Bible says He is. He is coming. It's a fact. You can't sweep it under the rug or tuck it under something neatly and nicely. You can't put on a happy face and just act like it's not happening. He is coming one day to judge the earth and people will spend eternity in hell if they do not turn to Jesus by faith. That's true. In Isaiah chapter 64, it says, O Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And what we see in the beauty of the Gospel is that Jesus did rend the heavens and come down, but He didn't come to pierce hearts. He came to change them. And He promises, I am coming again one day. Something that's tucked away in this story that sticks out to me as I read through it again and studied it, thinking about sharing the Gospel, thinking about standing up even in our generation, in our day, for what the true Gospel is, What is it that we can expect to enjoy from our Heavenly Father? What is it that you can expect to have? Paul gave testimony to it here. It is not popular to share the Gospel in the day that we live in, in the marketplace, and even sometimes with friends or people that we would call family. The Gospel is not something that people want highlighted. I think there's the protection of God, and Paul talks about it here. There is particular grace in the path of obedience for sharing the gospel of Christ. And I don't mean this as mere sentimentality. Jesus will be with you if you witness to your neighbor. I mean there is significant care and grace from our Heavenly Father because Jesus purchased it. That in the path of obedience, when you speak the truth of the gospel, whether it is day-to-day living, wanting to see the gospel lifted up, grace lifted up, or if it is witnessing to someone that you know, there is particular grace in that moment for you to share the truth of the Gospel. It's beyond you. It's nothing you have in yourself. It's something He does because He promised the Gospel would go forth, that His Word would go and accomplish all that He promised. And so because He chooses to condescend and use us as His witnesses, He promises that He will give grace so that I believe we wouldn't take the credit ourselves And so that we would be humble before Him as Paul was. Look in verse 17. It says that I'm sending you and that I will deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, in that account about Ananias, there are some particular words that Jesus tells Ananias. And I wonder if he he was nervous to share any of this. In verse 15 in Acts 9 it says, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go, for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. In verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I'm not saying that if there is particular grace from Jesus that there won't be suffering in the path of obedience. I'm saying that there is particular grace even in the midst of that obedience that God will sustain you. There were actual threats of and significant violence done to his person. You can see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 31. There he shares an account that he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was mistreated, he was maligned. People spoke evil of him. They did evil things to him. 
These were not his thoughts. This actually happened to him. There was personal and relational loss. If you look in the book of 2 Timothy, he speaks about this. He tells them about some of the horrible things that he went through because he named the name of Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he says... Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. This was a brother, having loved this present world and has departed. He says, only Luke is with me. In verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. These were in, this was in the path of obedience. This was not him doing his own thing. I was loving the Lord, trusting Him, and horrible things happened to me. You need grace to hear this, dear people. Sometimes in the path of obedience, our hearts crumble. This isn't worth it. Being a Christian is not worth it. It is too hard in this world. And people are too nasty. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, what did he say? At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them. The only way you can say don't let it be charged against them is if the grace of God is working in your heart and controlling you. He was deserted by everyone. No one was there to help him. C.S. Lewis said in the, in the Great Divorce in chapter 9, Some mortals say of temporal suffering, No future bliss can make up for this. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. There is a path that you walk, dear children of God. When you walk in His way, and you honor Him, and you preach the Gospel with your life, and you tell the truth, there is a painful path that sometimes you walk on your own, and you suffer in this life for it. But Jesus promised that He would turn even that backwards on its head. In verse 22, He said, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. What is, dear Christian, the source of sustaining power to proclaim the Gospel? He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, this was his testimony about himself. I told you this whole thing has, he's been telling Agrippa is to point to Jesus, not for Agrippa to look at him. I'm not the evidence that changes happen. He is the evidence. He says in 1 Timothy 1, 13, that although I was formerly a blasphemer of Jesus, a persecutor, an insolent man, I obtained mercy because I did this in un, ignorant unbelief. I was powerful, but I was undeserving of what Jesus gave me. And this whole time he's pointing to Jesus, the great substitute who suffered on behalf of God's people, that the gospel would be true and proclaimed and go forth and have power to change dead hearts, to make dead men and women live, that they would belong to God. Not be religious, but that they would belong to God and spend eternity in heaven. This series has been about missions emphasis about sharing the good news of the gospel with your neighbor, with how you live and how you do things, how you conduct your business. May God give us all grace and mercy to have a heart of compassion as Jesus does for the people around us and also to do it even in the midst of adversity and difficulty and suffering and not to scab over, not to harden our hearts, but to believe that it is Jesus who renews us even in the midst of His work. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for the good news of the gospel that has changed our hearts. Lord, I thank You that You have given it to us. And I pray, Lord, that You would see us being faithful, not only to live it, but also to share it, 
Lord, give us grace to do both. I thank You for this, this day to worship You, to look to You for all of the strength and the grace that You provide. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to walk in Your ways and to live before You humbly. And we don't always get it right, Lord. We confess that to You. We pray that You would help us to be a witness even in how we, we see and talk with others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and continue worshiping with hymn number 439, Christ Shall Have Dominion.
Callie, let us pray. Father, we do pray that the gospel light would go from shore to shore, and that one of the ways that you would do that is through the obedience that we demonstrate in giving our tithes and our offerings this morning. Lord, we pray that the name of the Lord Jesus would be spread abroad. We pray that it would happen, Lord, in our day, that lost souls would be brought into the kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised to do that. We dedicate this our tithes and offerings to you for the sake of your glory, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. benediction, a reminder that the um, elders and deacons need to meet in the parlor next door just after our worship service. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.